Well, Happy New Year to everyone. How are we doing? Good? Welcome to Hope City Church, wherever you are, however you're part of this service in Shepherdsville or here in the building in South Louisville or online. We're just excited uh, that we get to be together. We're excited to start a new year. We're excited to start, can we say a new decade? I don't know, I think. I mean, it's always running, but it seems to be the thing, so we'll go with it. Uh, and, and to be starting a new series. I, I am excited. And uh, I woke up my, my kids this morning to get them ready to come to church, and uh, the boys were still asleep, which they're usually the first ones up, so they were still asleep. And I walked into the room, and I flipped on the light, and I said, all right, it's time for church. Let's go. Church time. And uh, from the bed, Solomon, our, our five-year-old, our, our, he, he woke up, uh, and he said, Dad, is Jesus going to be there? I said, yes, son, Jesus is going to be there. He said, Dad, Chase, Chase, is Chase going to be there? I said, I don't know, but Jesus is going to be there. And so it's always good to be together, uh, always good to be together. My name is Jason, by the way. I can't remember if I introduced myself, but um, if you're a guest with us, thanks for coming uh, today. I have a shirt hanging in my closet that says Louisville, 26.2 miles, Louisville Marathon, 26.2 miles. It was given to every participant who ran the marathon um, last year here in Louisville. Well, technically, it was given to every person who registered to run the full marathon here uh, last year because I didn't run. I didn't run the race. I registered. I did. I registered. Registered months in advance, actually, uh, but I didn't run. I even went to the event headquarters the night before the race and got my packet, uh, got my shirt, but I didn't, I didn't run. And you may be wondering, why would you go to all that effort to go down there and pick up your packet if you knew you weren't going to run? And, and it's a valid question. The honest answer is, I wanted the shirt. I just, I wanted the shirt. And, um, and so I went and I, and I got my shirt and, and the registration fee cost $100. So I guess you could say it's the nicest $100 t-shirt that I own. Uh, I had every intention of running the race, but I registered months in advance, and I kept telling myself, you know what, uh, we'll start training soon. We're going to start training really soon, eventually. It's cold right now. It'll warm up. We'll start training soon, but, but it kept kind of kicking the can a little bit down, and I never did uh, get around to it, but when I knew, and I had made up my mind, I'm not going to run the race, uh, I still knew in my mind, I still want the shirt. And so I had it on my calendar. I wasn't going to miss the opportunity to go and get my packet. And let me just explain why it was so important to me. Because I have run a few other races before, and I have shirts from those races. And I wear them with pride. Uh, I, I wear them. Like, I, when I'm wearing them, I just, I'm walking around a little bit taller. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of my accomplishment to run in these races. For example, I have, uh, I ran a, a half marathon. It was my first half marathon I ever did in Atlanta a few years ago, and it was this long sleeve pullover. Man, I wear that thing all the time uh, because I just feel, I don't know, I just, I, I, I'm proud of my accomplishment. And I wear it around, and I hope somebody asks me about it, and I get to tell them about it, and, and all that stuff. And so ironically, I, I got this shirt, I wanted this, this $100 t-shirt, and, uh, but I don't wear it. I think it's actually ended up in my wife's uh, shirt drawer. Uh, and the reason I don't wear it is because every time I look at it, I know. I know the truth. The truth is I did not uh, run the race. And I think all of us would admit and, and could admit that we have some things that we wear or we do or we say or some things that we portray. 
And we love for people to notice them. I think all of us uh, could, could admit that. Well, today we're starting a new series called Secret Success. This is going to go for three weeks. Uh, and we're going to be reading through Matthew 6 because Jesus had some things to say about doing things to be noticed by others. He had a lot to say about it, actually, doing things to be noticed by others. And so we're going to take three weeks and read through Matthew chapter 6 together and, and talk about this idea of secret success. And I'm really excited about next week, just a little plug here for a second. Uh, I'm really excited about next week because um, I have a brand new book coming out. Uh, yeah, thank you. Speaking of things that you're proud of. And uh, it's, called, it's called Daily Faith. And I put together 101 uh, stories and devotions to, to help you connect with God. And it comes out January the 14th, but we're going to give everyone who's here next week a free copy a few days early, all right? But you got to be here next week because this is the only week we're doing it. And so if you're here next week, both locations, uh, we want to give you a free copy of that book. And so don't miss that. That's happening uh, next week uh, in, in this series, all right? And, and so let's do that together, three weeks through Matthew 6. Secret Success. And the subtitle of this series uh, of Secret Success is How to Have Confidence in a World of Comparison. How to Have Confidence in a World of Comparison. And I wanted to talk about this because I really believe that there is an epidemic of insecurity in our culture. An epidemic of insecurity. But you wouldn't know it if you just showed up out of the blue and just like read our posts or scrolled the timeline or looked at our pictures, you wouldn't know it because from our posts and pictures, it, it seems as if everything is going great. Life could not be better, but I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it uh, one bit. I believe beneath the surface of the humble brags and, and the selfies and the family photos and the engagement photos and the pregnancy photos and the Tuesday photos and the Friday photos and the Sunday photos and all the photos, there is this need that we feel, this massive need that we feel to feel as if we are keeping up, feel, feel as if we're keeping up. And some of our, our actions are conscious. Sometimes we know what we're doing, we're doing it on purpose, but I believe that most of the time our actions are unconscious. We, we don't even know why we do some of the things that we do. It's, it's jealousy and envy and ego. They are such a normal part of our culture that it can be hard to realize why we do the things that, that we do. Now, we just entered into a new decade, and the previous two decades will go down in history. They really will go down in history because of some of the, the technological inventions and advancements that we made. But they'll also go down in history because of the creation of Social media. This is a true thing. Historically, this was a, a major turning point for society and, and for culture. Because even 15 years ago, this idea did not exist. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube. There were none of these things. There wasn't even an iPhone uh, 15 years ago. Now, I'm aging myself a little bit, but I got my first cell phone in 1998. Uh, it was a gift for my parents. Uh, I got a car and, and, and got my license. They wanted me to have a phone. And so I got this Nokia phone that I thought was the greatest thing ever. Uh, and it was red and black. I still remember it. And, um, 
And I got that phone, and all I could do on the phone was make phone calls. And I think we got like, I think I got like 60 minutes a month. I think, I don't remember exactly how it works. And then play Snake. How many people remember Snake? Come on. Look, I love all the technology nowadays, but Snake is, is amazing. Snake is classic. And that's all that, that I, I could do uh, on, that, on that phone. And, you know, it's really, um, in this last 20 years, we've really kind of been taught to live our lives in front of everyone. We've kind of been told that that's just the way that you do it. You live your life in front of everyone. Tell everybody what you're having for dinner. What movie are you seeing? What are you wearing? What, what are your kids wearing? What new songs have you learned? Hey, what are your opinions on politics? And on and on we could go. And I'm, I'm kind of making up an age range here, but I guess probably if, I would say if you're under the age of 40, let's just use that, I'm 36. If you're under the age of 40, it never really crossed your mind that other people wouldn't care what you're doing. <laughs> Right? It never really crossed your mind that, there are, that people wouldn't want to know and wouldn't care about what, what is happening. Now, this is not a sermon series about social media. Um, it's not. It's much bigger than that. But, but I bring that up because I, I believe that it's never been easier to be fake and it's never been harder to be confident. It's never been easier to be fake and it's never been harder to be confident. And you wouldn't know just from like, just watching on the surface. It seems as is everybody's confident, but it's never been easier to be fake, and it's never been harder to be confident. It's always been hard to be a mom. Doesn't matter what time period you live in, always been hard to be a mom. But now, you got a thousand links to click on to give you a thousand things that you might be doing wrong or a thousand things your kid might be allergic to. Right? It's always been hard to be a middle schooler, but now you've got a device in your hand that allows people to, to say things to you all the time. And we can keep giving these examples that in all time periods, it's always been hard, but it just seems as if now, because of the accessibility and because of the way that we have kind of been trained to believe that everything about our life should be public and everything about our life should be accessible, it just seems, it seems harder. So what do we do? What can we do? What's the alternative? How can we live? This is the question I've been asking myself for a few months. I've been waiting to, to teach this series. Is how can we live a confident, rewarding, fulfilling life in a culture that keeps moving the line on us? keeps moving the standards. So we believe that at this next thing, at this next purchase, at this next accomplishment, at this next marker, we will finally be confident and fulfilled and, and it will be rewarding. But what happens when we get there is we realize that the line has moved, that the standard has been, has been moved. So how can we live that confident, rewarding, and fulfilling life? The good news is that Jesus has an answer. And he tells us about it. And, and that almost every time we open the Bible, we can find answers for our lives. So if anybody ever told you or tells you that the Bible is irrelevant or outdated or doesn't really have anything to do with your life, they have never read the Bible. Because so much of the Bible applies, and this is an example of that. 
that Jesus is going to give us the answer to how to live a fulfilling, rewarding, and confident life. And the answer is righteousness. The answer is righteousness. That's probably not what you thought the answer was going to be, but it is the answer, and we're going to talk about it. And as we read through these next few weeks, through Matthew 6, and today as we read this, Jesus is going to teach us this big idea. And here's the big idea, that the most rewarding things you will ever do will be the things that very few people see. This is counterintuitive, countercultural. But the most rewarding things Jesus is going to teach us that you will ever do will be the things that very few people see. And he speaks to this issue directly in Matthew, in Matthew 6. And so there's a Bible around you, either underneath the seat in front of you or in the seat when you came in. I would love for you to grab that Bible, and I'd love for you to read along with me. In Matthew chapter 6, today we're just going to read the first four verses, the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6, but I would love for you to read along, uh, along with me. And if you got one of those sermon guides when you came in, you can grab that. There's some page numbers on there. If you're using one of our Bibles, the page numbers will, will line up for you, okay? So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read the four verses, but right now let's just read the first one, all right? Let's just read the first verse together. It says, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out. Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, says, watch out, I don't know about you, but I know me, I would like to know what am I supposed to watch out for? Because this is not a boy who cried wolf. This is Jesus. And so what, what does he say? He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And we're going to finish that in just a moment, but let's stop for a second because Jesus is telling us to watch out for something. Most translations, we read this from the New Living NLT translation. There's lots of translations out there. We kind of like the NLT around here. We use that. But most translations read Matthew 6 verse 1 as this. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness to be seen by others. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness to be seen. Almost every other translation, that's what it says, acts of righteousness. What does that mean? What are acts of righteousness? The most simple definition of acts of righteousness would be actions of righteous people. That's deep, right? Actions of right, the acts of righteousness are actions that righteous people do. So the next question would then be, well, who are righteous people? And our first thought or assumption would be, well, righteous people would be people who do right things. Righteous people are right people. But that would be wrong. That's not who righteous people, it's not who righteous people are. The dictionary definition of righteous is is, uh, to be morally right, the quality of being morally right or justifiable. And righteous is a very important word for anyone who has put their faith in Jesus. Anyone who believes in Jesus has put your faith in Jesus. Righteous or righteousness is a major word that, it, it, that we need to understand. This is an important word for anybody whose faith is in Jesus. The quality of being morally right or justifiable. So righteousness means a lot more than just being right. It means being morally right or justified. Now here's why this is a big deal. Because as believers in Jesus, 
we believe, the Bible teaches, that no one is morally right or justified. Adam and Eve, when they ate the apple, they messed it all up. And so the moment you breathe your first breath, when you are born into the world, the moment you breathe your first breath, you are already not morally right or justified. You are born into sin. You are born as a sinner. We don't, we don't, uh, we, we don't, we're not a sinner because we sin. We sin because we're sinners the moment we're born. And so we believe that we are not right. That's what salvation is, by the way. Salvation is when you confess to God that you've come to the realization through the help of the Holy Spirit, that you're not right. And you know now and have come to the realization that, that the only thing that will make you right with God is Jesus. Here in South Louisville, we celebrated baptisms today, and Chase, nine-year-old Chase, said it perfectly. He said, I heard about God my whole life, but I realized that that wasn't enough. I needed Jesus. I'm going to let him preach next week because uh, that was fantastic. But let me, that's how I say it, and that's how Chase would say it. But let me show you how the Bible says it. This is in uh, Romans, um, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. This is what it says. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be, here's this, made right, made right, righteous with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So in other words, he's saying it's not about keeping all the rules. That's not, you, you can't be right enough to be righteous. But again, he says, we are made right with God. How? By placing our faith in a political party. No, that's not what he says. He says we're made right with God by never making a mistake. No, that's not what he says. He says we're made right with God, the Apostle Paul says, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true, good news, for everyone who behaves. No, that's not what he says. This is true for everyone who believes no matter who you are. So righteousness has nothing to do with how many right things we've done. It has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. Are you with me? Is everybody understanding what we're talking about today? Now here's where it gets tricky, and here's why we set all that up. Because if our faith is in Jesus, we got to know what righteous means, righteousness is. But here's where it gets tricky. Is after we have been made right with God... By placing our faith in Jesus, it's really tempting and really easy to begin to think that it's your actions that keep you right with God. That it's your actions that make you right with God. And once that begins to settle in, then you begin to believe, and I begin to believe, that people who do certain things are more righteous than other people. Or people who who don't say certain words are more righteous than other people. Or people who don't drink certain drinks are more righteous than other people. Or people who don't watch certain movies or, or vote certain ways, well, they're more righteous than other people. Maybe you've met a Christian like this. 
Maybe you are that Christian. I think all of us are to some degree. This idea that, yeah, 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 I remember at some point, that's right, yeah, that's right, it was my faith in Jesus, but that got me started, Jason. Now it's about what I do, and it's my actions that make me right. The Apostle Paul's like, no, no, he had a lot to say about that. See, your actions cannot make you righteous, but they can make you self-righteous. And that's precisely who Jesus is talking to in Matthew chapter 6. These verses that we're reading, Jesus is sending a message to self-righteous people. And Jesus is going to tell us, watch out that you don't try to do the right things for the wrong reasons. Watch out. And then he gives four examples where we might be tempted to do that. Where the people listening might be tempted to do the right things for the wrong reasons. Helping poor people, praying, fasting, and managing money. He's talking to these people who uh, are claiming to follow Jesus. And he says, now that you've been made right with God, be careful. Just as an example, Jesus would say, like when you're helping a poor person, don't do the right thing for the wrong reason. When you're praying, don't do the right thing for the wrong reason. When you're fasting, don't do the right thing for the wrong reason. When you're managing your money, don't do the right thing for the wrong reason. Because people who do the right things for the wrong reasons, they really have one purpose. They want to be seen. They want to be seen as superior. They want to be seen as more righteous than other people. And that's the difference between being righteous and self-righteous. A righteous person, this is huge for those of us who faith, our faith is in Jesus. A righteous person would say, because of Jesus, I'm better than I used to be. Oh my goodness, when I tell you who I used to be, I hope nobody from high school walks through them doors because, I mean, who I used to be, man, but because of Jesus, I am so much better than I used to be. That's what a righteous person would say. But a self-righteous person would say something like, because of me, I'm better than you'll ever be. I mean, good for you, but I mean, I'm doing better than all of y'all. I'm, I'm doing better. So a righteous person says it's because of Jesus, all the progress, all the change, all the good things that are happening to me because of Jesus. A self-righteous person's like, I'm amazing. Don't you agree? It's the difference. And these four examples, helping poor people, praying, fasting, managing money, these are known as, back then and still to this day, these are known as acts of righteousness. These are actions that righteous people do. But Jesus wants to make the point that we don't do them somehow so that we can be righteous. These are things that we do because we've already been made righteous. We would call them spiritual disciplines or private disciplines, something like that would probably be what we use, and we should do them. Jesus tells us to do them. But Jesus wants to talk about why we do them. What is our motivation? And I can't think of a better way to start a new year than talking about motivation. Why do we want to be seen a certain way, do certain things? Why do we want to do it? So let's go back. And, and if you still have your Bible open, uh, let's read this. We'll actually just start again at verse 1. We're going to read four verses together. 
Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Here's the first example he gives. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. This is true. Like, they would actually do this. They would actually, like, blow a trumpet. They would have a hype man, for real. And, and they'd be like, everybody, here comes rabbi, you know, whatever. <laughs> they would have a hype man to bring their offering in. And this is a real thing. Jesus was not making this up. They would blow trumpets and be like, I'm bringing my offering. I'm bringing my offering. And we hear that and we say, that is the most ridiculous thing ever. But we don't have a hype man or trumpets, but we do have a phone to be like, everybody, look how I just helped this person, right? Jesus is like, watch out for this. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to somebody in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Last verse, verse 4, give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. It's important to know that Jesus is not saying that everything you do has to be completely secretive. Of course not. We are together publicly as believers and we give offerings and we pray publicly and uh, we do good things and that's, it's okay. It's not, everything does not have to be a secret or anonymous. Jesus is trying to make a bigger point. That only you can know why you want what you do to be known. Only you can know why you want people to know what you're doing. And we've called this series Secret Success because most of the ways that we define success are very public. Very public. We deem someone else as successful. We look at where they are and what they have, and we say, well, that's what success is. And then we work to try to attain that. And every metric that we have and every standard that we have is not necessarily bad or wrong, but it is very possible. I would say even easy to be successful at things that don't actually matter. To succeed at the wrong things. So Jesus gives us three warnings. We read them in these four verses together. I think these are three uh, phenomenal warnings to take into a new year as we want to be better, dream, hope about a future, and change, and all the things that we've written down and thought about. Jesus gives us three warnings about trying to be better, do better, three warnings. And if you have your sermon guide, you can, you can write these down just for the few moments we have left. Let's look at these three warnings. The first warning that Jesus gives us as we head in is to watch out. Specifically, we want to watch out for pride. Watch out for pride. In, in a culture that tells you to follow your heart, the Bible tells us over and over again the exact opposite, that our heart is a terrible compass for our life. Our heart is a liar. Our heart will deceive us and lead us into terrible terrible places. I'll give you just one example. There are lots of examples like this, but this is Jeremiah uh, 17. It says, the human heart's the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked, and nobody really knows how bad it is. So your heart is a terrible 
filter for right and wrong in your life and what you should do. Pride, ego, people's approval, envy, motivation. Jesus emphatically says, you got to watch out for the things that are sneaking into and crawling into and leaking into your heart. You got to watch out. Because the human heart is so wicked and so messed up that even humility can become prideful. That it's so easy to make good things bad things and do good things for bad reasons. And we always have to be on guard for pride in our life. So I I think before every post, it would be wise to ask the question, why am I posting this? Why am I posting this? When we're offended by something, we should ask, why does this offend me? I could be offended about a lot of things in life. Why does this offend me? It's a valid question. When we chase a dream, we should ask, why do I want this so badly? It's okay to want it badly, but why do I want it so badly? I think we have to watch out just in general. We don't even realize some of the the, the attitudes and mindsets we slip into that we could be scrolling on our phone and, and just automatically scroll with a judgmental attitude. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe. Did you see? What were they? Oh, my gosh. I, and we don't even realize that our whole posture is judgmental and prideful, right? It is entirely possible. And probably likely, honestly, that your motives are pure and your heart's in a good place. But the reason you have to watch out for pride is because it never goes away. And the opportunity to pick it up is always right there. Don't ever assume you've conquered it. Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. When you wake up every day, you need to watch out for where you may step into pride. Watch out, Jesus says. That's the first warning he gives us. But let's look at this Second warning that Jesus gives us, he says, being very practical and just straightforward with us today, don't be a hypocrite. Hey, as you head into this new year, watch out for pride. But number two, don't be a hypocrite. This, this word in the, in the Greek, in the original, uh, when it's translated down to get, it to get it to us as hypocrite, it really comes from this idea of actors back in the day that there were only four or five actors in a play. They were all men, and they would have to play like three, four, five different roles, and so they would have different masks that they would wear, and that's where we get those masks, those people who wear those masks is where we get this, this word for, for hypocrite. It's, it's, it's this idea of, of, of acting like and portraying that you're someone that you're not. How can we know if we're a hypocrite? Okay, I mean, how, how can I know? Ask yourself this question. If people saw my real life, would they be surprised? If people saw behind the curtain, if people saw what really happened, if people saw what my home was really like, the way I really treated my family, the way I really spent time with God, the way I really helped poor people, the way I really loved people that got on my nerves, like if people really saw that, because sometimes now we've even gotten good at portraying what a fake real life looks like. Like, just being real today, wow, look at this laundry. It's like, that ain't even real, right? And so we have to be careful 
because, because it's easy to slip into. And listen, it's not hypocritical to look your best and be your best. There are times when you're better than you are other times. It's hypocritical when you put forth the effort to convince people that you're someone that you're not. Now, what's crazy about hypocrisy and ironic about hypocrisy is that if we would put as much energy into whatever we're trying to convince people that we are, if we would put as much energy into the trying to convince, if we would put it into what we're trying to convince people we are, we would actually be that. Does that make sense? So if I would spend less time trying to convince publicly and take all that energy and put it into what I'm actually trying to do in my life, I would be the person that I keep trying to act like I am. But I waste all my energy trying to act like something. And it will always be easier to do that. Spiritually, it will always be easier to put more effort into the perception of how spiritual you are than to just actually put that effort and energy into a relationship with God. It's, it's, it's easy to slip into and trade masks for the different places in our life. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. You got to watch out for pride because when pride hits you, then hypocrisy is going to hit you. But Jesus gives us one more warning as we enter into this new year. The third warning, he says, is that people's approval will never be as rewarding as you think. That's what he said. He said, people's approval will never be as rewarding as you think. You know, we're motivated by what people think way more than we realize we are. We don't realize how much we think about how much people think about us. Such a motivator in our life. Our wedding, where our kids go to school, the kind of phone we have, the car we drive, the clothes we wear, how smart we sound, how successful our business is, our vacation photos, on and on and on. How is this going to be seen? How are people going to view this? And what will they think? And will they like it? And will they approve of it? Jesus gives us a warning. You can spend all your time, Jesus would say, you can spend all your time trying to get that feeling, but it will not be as rewarding as you think it will. Now, he doesn't say it won't be rewarding. He says when, when these guys send in their hype man for their offering, there is a moment of reward. It does feel good for everybody to be like, oh, man, they're so awesome. But then it's over. Jesus says that moment of rewarding feeling, that's all they're ever going to get. It's over. And then you're going to have to chase the next one, and you're going to have to chase the next one, and you're going to have to chase the next one because that's it. It's over. But Jesus says there's something more rewarding than the approval of people. It's the approval of God. And it's different than the approval of people because the approval of God is not a momentary experience. If you live by people's approval, you die when they don't approve. If people's acceptance and approval is your oxygen, you, you can't breathe when you don't have it. So how much are you thinking about how much other people think about you? And if you're here and you, and you would say, man, a lot. I have some amazing freeing news for you. Nobody's thinking about you. You're just not that important. I'm not either. 
So you don't have to live your life trying to get the attention of people. So as we enter into this new year, we start this new series, wanting to be a secret success, wanting to earn God's approval more than people's approval. Let me ask you this question. How rewarding does your relationship with God feel? How rewarding does your relationship with God feel? You know what would be amazing is if all of us could be like, so rewarding. Like if that was our answer. Like, oh, just so rewarding, amazing, fulfilling, awesome. But I've been a pastor long enough and I've followed Jesus long enough to know that most people feel underwhelmed with their level of spirituality. A guy like me got up here and talked about it and they jumped in and they said, let's do this. And then the feeling where it wore off or they hear people talk in their growth group about the way God moved or answered, and, and it, they say, you know what? I don't feel that. It's not my experience. And don't get me wrong, I'm not mad about it, and I'm glad about heaven and all that stuff, but if you're saying, how rewarding is it? I mean, not that rewarding. And if that's what you would say, the good news is that Jesus gives us an answer to help us feel more rewarding. Here's what he says, and he's going to say, Spend time with him and do good things for people, but do it for him. Our motivation for what we're doing is because Jesus gave us a chance to have a relationship with God. So how much time are you spending getting God's attention? How much time are you spending getting God's attention? When's the last time you secretly or anonymously did something generous to someone in need just because you know what it feels like for someone, mainly Jesus, to do something incredible for you when you didn't deserve it? When's the last time you got away uninterrupted and just talked to God? When's the last time that you fasted for a specific period of time? If your answer to those is like, uh hardly ever, good news is we're going to talk about that the next two weeks. We're going to talk about what it is and how we can do that better, so don't be discouraged. But can I promise you something? If you decided today, you know what I'm going to do? Forget all the goals in 2020. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do more good, anonymous things for people. I'm going to talk to God more, and I'm going to set aside some time for some fasting. Do you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? You are going to feel like you have a rewarding relationship with God. That's what Jesus said. But if you decide instead, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put all of my energy into trying to get the approval and attention of everyone around me and be applauded by everyone around me. There are going to be a few moments this year where it's going to feel rewarding. But can I tell you what's going to happen when it's all said and done? You'll feel more empty and less satisfied than you do before you start the process. A growing relationship with God will always be more rewarding than you think it will. So I think an amazing commitment and start for us would be to say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about what's going on out there near as much as I'm going to worry about what's going on in here. And I'm going to devote myself and commit myself this year to getting God's attention. Secretly, privately, personally. I'm going to pursue God and get his attention and feel the reward 
of his approval. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when there was no way to have a relationship with you, you made a way. Then There was not enough right things that I could do, God, to be able to have a relationship with you. So you sent Jesus to die on the cross and be raised from the dead so that I could be made right with you. So God, I pray that today as we start this new year, as we're thinking about all the things ahead of us, I pray, God, that we would be challenged, the Holy Spirit would convict us. That instead of focusing on the opinions and approval and attention of others, we would turn from that and figure out how to be a person that's stronger in private than we are in public. To have your approval and your attention. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.